Hey there, Sinister Seekers. Welcome to another episode of Studio Sinister. I'm your host, Farah, and alongside me is my best friend and partner in all things eerie. Courtney. We're your guides through the twisted paths of the strange, the unexplained, and the downright sinister. Courtney, how are you feeling? Because we have so much to talk about today. <laughs> I'm doing okay. It's warmed up here. My chicken's back outside. If you guys caught last episode, I was sharing a recording studio with a rooster in a kennel, which was sad. He had to stay the night with us in here due to negative temps, but he's back outside and I feel no longer I'm in a frozen block of ice. How are you? I am doing well. The same here. The weather got really weird because it's been in the fifties. Is it a little warmer out your way? It's, let me look at my phone. It's been pretty warm for, by Montana standards, I should say. Right. right now it is 35, but later next week, on Wednesday of next week, it's going to be 52 degrees the height. That is unheard of for this time of year, so I'm excited about that. It's like spring, but I heard that it was in the negatives in your neck of the woods not too long ago, even after it was cold for me. Yeah, it so. was for a week. It was in the negatives. But just take a wild guess at what the temp is right now in Tennessee at 6.30 p.m. Is it in the 70s? It's 61. Shut up. How did that happen? How are you not sick? <laughs> I don't because I hardly go out of the house. I'm deathly scared of catching COVID again. So that's fair. Yeah, I limit again. my outings, <laughs> but that's what I mean about being scared in Tennessee now, because I didn't know that they had such drastic changes mm -hmm. of weather. Remember the tornado that hit yeah. me in December? Yeah, I was going to say you have the gateway into Tornado Alley. It's 61 now in January. So does this mean that we might have the ability for tornadoes in January and February? Do we, we even don't. really have a winter here or is it fall? Don't say that. Don't say that. That tornado was scary. Yeah. I was scared. We were, I forget where we were going. That was when our family was in town and we were driving down to the, the place that they were renting. Mm -hmm. And you and I were in the middle of a normal conversation, just texting back and forth. And then all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, I have to go and hide. And then you send me a screenshot of the weather alert. And then I was just on edge for the rest of the day until you texted me a couple hours later saying, oh, we're good. But I'm like, that came out of nowhere. It did. Remember the night before it was 30 some degrees. And then the next day it hiked up to 50s. It was sunny first in the daytime. And then it just started raining and then boom, tornado watched all of a sudden. And then there were 700 residential business areas destroyed. It was crazy. I never want to go through that again, but this is weird. It's 61. It's just. so. And I promise guys, we'll stop talking about the weather, but I just don't really understand this. When it's, when it gets cold and then gets hot, a lot quicker is that what's going to cause a tornado that's what i'm thinking is that quick weather change if anyone listening to this is a meteorologist and can explain this to me please send me an email at studiosinisterpod at gmail.com but anyway so we are going to start with our segment that everyone loves our <laughs> what's haunting you and courtney is going to kick it off so go ahead girl Hey girls, I have a pretty rad story for everyone if you'd like to hear it. All right, zombie, listen up. I'm gonna tell you about this crazy ass haunting I heard from a friend of mine. So, this dude named Bob Cranmer moves into this big mansion in Pittsburgh back in the early 2000s, right? Go Steelers, by the way. Well, from the get-go, 
Weird shit starts happening. His kid, Bobby Jr., is crying on the stairs like he saw a ghost. Lights are flickering, furniture's moving on its own. So Bob's mom suggests getting a priest to come bless the place. Father Victor comes by, but Bobby won't even let him in his room. But the activity doesn't stop. Kids are having nightmares, seeing black, misty figures roaming around. Bobby even claims to see the Grim Reaper in his room. And the noises, man. Footsteps, knocking, you name it. Things get real bad when these passionist priests say it's not just ghosts. It's a full-on demonic infestation. Kids are trying to off themselves. Scratches and bite marks appearing out of nowhere. Blood and weird smells all over the places. You can smell it? Local legend says the property's cursed from some abortion doctor back in the day and a Native American massacre. So this demon is just feeding off all the bad vibes. Finally, in 2005, some big shot exorcist priest named Father James comes in for the final showdown. The power of Christ Activity you. starts dying down after that. Bob turns the place into a bed and breakfast now called Grand Oaks Manor. Whether you believe in demons or ghosts or not, sounds like Bob and the kids went through some seriously spooky shit in that house. Just another reason to stay away from haunted properties if you ask me. I came across this story, and it gave me the chills so I had to share it. Okay, Courtney, the floor is all yours. Thanks for letting me butt in. So, what's haunting me this week is literal ghosts. You guys know that both Bear and I live in haunted houses. I don't know if that's by happenstance or if it's just what we do with our time, if it's brought stuff in, but specifically the people being haunted in this case are not me or Farah. It's my husband has had a lot of really weird experiences over the last couple of weeks. Specifically, he's seen a lot of shadow figures throughout the house. And like, you guys know that I can be pretty skeptical, or at least I try to hold myself to be skeptical when it seems appropriate to be, right? He is even more skeptical than I am. A very staunch skeptic. And recently over the last couple of years, he's become a little bit more open just because we've seen stuff that just cannot be explained away by quote unquote science. Him seeing shadow figures around the house is, and him admitting that fully out loud to me, is troubling because he's the first person to be, oh, it was a trick of the light or... It must have been. We have a lot of ravens in the area that we live in, and sometimes they can cast shadows depending on how they fly across windows and stuff. But he's like, no, these are full-blown shadow figures that I'm seeing. I can't stop seeing them. And then I forget what day it was in, in specifics, but a couple days ago, he said he went outside. And if you guys have been following Fair and I for a while, then you would know that I have, I hate to say a portal, but it seems to me like it might be. It's basically, there's a wood shed right outside our kitchen window, which is where we keep our firewood. And the previous owner, this is Kismet, he draped these little Halloween twinkle lights across the wood shed that we have outside in the front area of our house. And they're in the shape of ghosts. And two lights in particular light on and off randomly, which doesn't make sense because it's not connected to batteries. The lines have actually been cut. They're purely there because I love ghosts and I don't have the heart to take them down. And when we have increased amounts of paranormal activity, a lot of times these lights are going off. And I don't know if that's to be as a means of communication with us or if it's just saying, hey, I'm here or if that's just purely coincidence. But it seems to happen every single time we have an increase of paranormal activity in our house. So a couple days ago, he went outside 
And as he did, he smells what he described to me as rot. He said that it seemed like something, I know, <laughs> he said that it seemed like something had died. And just as quickly as he smelled it, it went away. It was when it was really cold like and probably close to negative 20 outside. He was meant to go out there for just a couple minutes to grab firewood. He ended up going into the area where we keep our garbage because we have to take garbage specifically to a place where we can dump it. We don't have like, that kind of service out here, unfortunately. So he went in there thinking maybe it was the trash. We had just recently taken it down the hill, so it wasn't that. And then he thought, oh, maybe it's the propane. So he went around back the house to see if we had like, a propane leak. It wasn't that. So he smelt something that was rotting, couldn't figure out where it was coming from. And just as quickly as he smelt it, it went away. Which, as you guys know, that can be a sign of some pretty nasty stuff. That is, it fortunately, is. all we... Yeah, all we know at the moment. We've also had like, flies in the house on and off randomly, which I think we spoke about earlier on in the show. But there's just a lot of stuff going on here that seems to be, I don't want to say demonic because it doesn't really feel like that, but it does seem negative. And the fact that he's smelling putrid scents is really freaking me out. So that's what's haunting me. What are your thoughts? <laughs> And listeners, you're going to love this. The same way that mm -hmm. Todd is a skeptic, my man, Jake, is a skeptic. In the past week and a half, two weeks, Jake has been experiencing things in our house. Jake and I have been together for 15 years, so we know each other like the back of our hand. We can right. finish each other's sentences, etc., etc. So when he's been waking up, he tells me that he felt like he went somewhere to a different realm. He pointed to behind his ear at the base of his skull and asked, is there anything here? I said, let me see it, quit touching it. I looked and the area was red. There wasn't a scratch at that time or anything, but Jake has been seeing shadow figures in this house in the past month where he started seeing them once in a while when we first moved in in September. He's now seeing them on a daily basis or every other day. I think I told you the one, Courtney, where he had gone to the bathroom and he heard something looked behind him and there is a shadow standing there and it can darted. We talk about, can we talk about how that is my worst fear to see something? We have a lot of activity specifically in our kitchen and bathroom and we have one of those medicine cabinets and that's where we keep the toothpaste. And I'm always terrified that I'm going to oh, open, I know it, what up, you're talking about. <laughs> open <laughs> it up to grab the toothpaste, close it and have something be behind me. I would lose my mind. There's not a whole lot that scares me, but like that kind of jump scare horror movie shit. I, I don't know how I would cope with that. But anyways, the thing that scares me and Jake about it is that it was bigger than him. What that's that what scared me. Jake is six foot tall, 220. He's a built guy has arms that are the size of some women's legs when he says that it's bigger than him that's scary so it started off with that and then recently i had sent you that picture of jake courtney the side of his face when he woke up for school at 4 30 in the morning he brushed his teeth he got a shower looked into the mirror and says what the fuck on his left side there were three burn type marks on his cheek I mean, how would you describe it? To me, they looked somewhere between a burn and an impression. What it looked was something had slapped him square across the face. It wasn't a scratch, 
it was right. an indent on his face, but not like the kind of way, you know, when you're sleeping really good and your pillow leaves like crease in your face from. Yeah, that like, was not it. That wasn't it. No, it was not. Something had smacked him around. But then last night we're sitting in bed watching TV. I just happened to turn to him just to look at him because I love him so much. There's this white little thing on his left ear. But then when I tried to flake it off, it was still there. And I said, what the hell? I took my phone, turned the flashlight on. I looked and I peeled it off. It was a bubble from a burn mark. He had sent you a picture as well and you agreed that it looked like a burn mark. Yeah. Also, the way you're describing it, too, it looked like it was a third degree burn that had blistered that had been not that you meant to do this by any means. You just thought that something was on him and you were trying to get it off, which is a normal thing to do by all means. But it looked like it had been ripped. We've all been burned. And it's when you irritate it, but whether that's on accident or whatever, the skin was irritated in the same way which I thought right. was weird. You described that perfectly. So thank you. And that we don't smoke anymore. We're almost on a year of not smoking. So what else could burn his ear? Because we don't have a lighter in this house. And he hasn't played with any flame. <laughs> so he's not <laughs> a pyrotechnic person. So what else could it be? And mind you, it's on the same side that those three marks were. <laughs> Oh, you didn't tell me that. It's on the left side. That's so weird. That's so weird. And Courtney had mentioned something which is new to me that I've been trying to study a little bit more since she brought it up, but describe astral projection and also let them know didn't Todd have a suggested instance. Here's the thing. You guys know, I've said it probably every time that I've brought up Todd, whether it's been on haunts or haunts in the cabin or wherever it is that you followed us originally i've said it time and time again he's a skeptic however i do think that he is sensitive to the other side if not have i'm sure if he practiced he could probably have some sort of mediumistic ability but that remains to be seen that said to answer your question in terms of what astral projection is the best way i can describe it is the insidious movies So when the sun goes into that coma trance state, his soul leaves his body in this dream realm. And they say that in astral projection, you can do travel and go see real life things. In theory, I could astral project if I practice enough and had the ability to, to your house and see you whilst I'm sleeping, right? But also they say that agents of i don't want to say regular spirits but let's say inhuman entities whether they're positive or negative that opens a door for them to come in and use your body as a vessel so i don't really think it's the safest thing necessarily to do but yeah todd also i said he's very sensitive to this kind of stuff he gets a lot of sleep paralysis and in doing having those experiences He's learned to meditate out of sleep paralysis. And as he started doing that, he began to experience what I believe to be astral projection by the way that he describes it. In particular, when we were living back in our apartment in Georgia, he was taking a nap on the couch when he started feeling this vibrating energy over him. And he was awake, but when he got up, 
his body remained on the couch and he was able to walk around our entire apartment. And he did this on three occasions in the same nap session and ended up leaving our apartment, going downstairs. And the way that this apartment was set up was we were on the top floor. And if we went outside to our balcony, we were looking down at the apartment plexus dog park. So he walked all the way down to the dog park where he saw these two balls of light. And when he came back to his body, because you get pulled back, when he was pulled back into his body, that's when he actually woke up for real. And he went outside to our balcony, looked down, and there was a dude and his dog in the dog park. So he believes the orbs of light that he saw were their souls. Or at least that's the running theory between the two of us. And this is when he started to believe maybe there's something else versus being not agnostic but atheistic so this is kind of todd's origin story into believing in the paranormal so hopefully that makes sense as far as astral projection and our experiences with that does that sound anything like what's going on with jake you describe everything perfectly you have now convinced me that in the past i had a certain something happened to me and it had to be an astral projection. So real quick, when I was 22 years old, I was in bed and I had what I thought was a dream of rising up out of the bed, hovered over. My two girls were in the bed. They were hugging their father and they said, we miss you, mommy. And then I'm flowing out of the bedroom to the foyer and my feet, Courtney, this is so eerie. It's like I had no feet. It was a wisp. So the best way I can describe it is if you were to draw a ghost, just the normal simple ghost, that upside down teardrop shape pretty much, that wisp where it goes into a point, that's what my feet were. They were nothing, it was a translucent thing. And I floated out to the foyer and I was looking out my stained glass doors of my home. And then that's it. I woke up. But that was the freakiest thing ever to me because my girls were upstairs in their own bedrooms sleeping. When I woke up, it just felt so real. It was the most wildest thing, excuse my language, wildest fucking thing that I've ever been through or that anyone, if they experienced this, could go through. I was tingling. I felt like I was less than a pound, light as a feather. It was very weird. Just gave me insane chills all over my body. The fact that it's, oh, sorry, I just hit my microphone. The fact that it's, you were literally in astral form. I don't know how else to explain that, especially with like a tingly sensation. That is, from my understanding, I've never experienced it. And to be honest, I don't want to. As I said, you can really open yourself up to agents of the dead it's terrifying when you put it that way just the concept of being able to possibly have your body taken over by something else but from my understanding that's exactly what it is you have this sensation of vibrating energy surrounding you i felt electric zapping through my body and what's weird is i bought a pendulum two years ago right so at first my attempts at connecting with the spiritual world were futile, to say the least. I had bought this pendulum and I would ask it to show me it's yes or no. It wouldn't move. No back and forth, no circles. However, as I studied and got into the unknown 
deeper, started experimenting with tarot cards and participating in paranormal investigations. I think my mind began to open more. My perspective shifted, I guess, and I started acknowledging more of the reality of things that I've previously dismissed before. Now, imagine the moment when I took out that pendulum and this time my approach was different. I kind of just sat there, thought a little bit first about what I wanted to get out of this, like the intent. I invited the spirits, asking them to show me again what their yes and their no was. And to my surprise, the pendulum started moving. And that's when I knew that I had crossed that threshold more or less into the spiritual realm. But apparently... Long ago, when I was 22, I think it was trying to give me a hint that I was maybe sensitive to that stuff. I think that's also a great way to do the pendulum. I've had somebody, I can't remember the exact situation, but I remember it was a little weird. We were in Italy and this was on our honeymoon. And of course, I wanted to go on a ghost tour. And this woman brought, the person who was doing the ghost tour brought with us a pendulum. And she asked, would anyone want to use it? And of course, I'm the only one who's, not to toot my own horn, but I really am on this tour, the only one who's experienced in using a pendulum or any sort of device that can be used for spirit communication. And so I asked, show me yes. And she's like, no, it yes is this way, that is that way. And I'm like, okay, this is how I use the pendulum, but (laughs) whatever. But I think that's a great way because it can be, you never know who's going to come through and maybe yes to them is going to be back and forth versus in a circle. You're never supposed to ask yes or no questions. Always phrase them to find out if it's in your best interest. Steer clear of directly asking questions to the dead. It's key because we're not really supported in doing that. So it's a bit of a delicate dance to work around the straight yes or no's, but Let me tell you about the time that I actually did save Kevin from where the weird ones are from an unwelcomed presence. He said that he was dealing with an ominous dark shadow that he kept seeing in his apartment. And long story short, I asked my pendulum to confirm it. It did. And then he ended up saging and cleansing. And like within the next two weeks, it was gone. I wanted to mention before we close out this What's Haunting You segment, We have somewhat of a running theory that our houses might be connected paranormally. We don't really know how, but it seems we can, I don't want to say interact with one another, but we've had so many things that seem consistent between both. If anyone out there knows what that might be, or if that's possible, or if you have theories surrounding what may be going on, obviously send us an email. Suffice it to say, we've had some weird shit happening over the last, let's say, three to four weeks right? You know what I think it is, Courtney? I think it's you and I that have met and that's why there's something going on between these homes. I think Mm, that you and I were meant to meet. We were brought together by a different force. And in turn, that force and other forces are traveling between the both of us because we have such a great electric energy and chemistry together. We haven't even met each other. And you're my best friend that I've known for 40 years. I think the friendship and the meeting itself is the reason for the back and forth. That's what I'm thinking. Do you think, too, it could also be that twin flame energy? Maybe it's feeding off of that and able to use our connection as its own link between the two of us. We give it really good strength. Yeah. 
we're talking about it all the time. And, and you're right. We do have great energy between us. So I'm wondering if it's pulling it from that. I think that's why things are starting to get bumped up a little bit. Yeah. I just we hope need it to... doesn't go in a more aggressive turn to your house or my we, house. We need to figure out something. I mean, I'm, this is going to be controversial, but I don't really care as long as whatever is haunting either of us is good and of love and light. I've never been one to be like, you have to leave my house because you don't know what's here. I think I have a ghost in this house from who owned it previously, who died under really tragic circumstances. So I don't want her to go anywhere if, as long as she doesn't have ill intention towards me. But if something is between us going to get physical and violent and nasty, then that is when I think we need to probably intervene. So I guess we'll keep an eye on the situation and move forward as necessary, but that's a great plan. So just to finish up this astral projection, I looked up the definition and this is what it says. The astral plane is the realm where dreams take place. While dreams are processed by the brain, they also exist in the astral plane. The brain acts as an antenna facilitating the retrieval of memories from our experiences in the astral. Therefore, it is important to recognize that consciousness is not confined to the brain. It permeates the entire cosmos by awakening to the astral plane. We can transcend mere dreaming and explore the objective realities that exist within. And one more thing that I forgot to mention Jake said that he's been having these weird dreams, right? Well, how about he says, remember that he's like going somewhere with that. He's going somewhere where there's a light that gets bigger and he's meeting these people and hugging them. And they're saying, oh my God, I haven't seen you in so long. And he says he feels that he knows them, but he doesn't recognize any of them. I'll finish with that, but I just had to tell you that because I forgot. Holy crap. Stressed out about what's happening to Jake. I forgot to tell you that part, and I'm so sorry. I should have said it more in the beginning because I know we didn't plan on spending an hour just talking about what's haunting us. What was I going to say? Okay. You were explaining. Source is essentially, how do I explain this? Do you know the the theory of egg theory? Or not isn't even a good way to put it. It's basically, and to be honest, I'm very transparent here. I don't do psychedelic drugs and never will. But they say when you're on a drug trip, you can have an ego death and go back to what they call source. And I think people can have this without getting high. But you essentially are meeting a bunch of different deities that are it's hard to explain. I'm supposed to get dinner with some friends tomorrow. And one of them is really into this shit. So I'll ask him what his definition of sources and all. One thing you need to know about Jake is that he's had seven surgeries in one year. Oh God! So he was put under seven times in one year. And since then, he said he's always thought that there was something following him. Ooh, ew, <laughs> no. Okay. Which could I'm also sure. be members of his soul family. Oh, or I guess what yeah. would likely be both of your soul family, mm-hmm. if not all of ours. Because I think we're karmically connected. But they say that we travel in families. It might just be people who have either passed on or have yet to be reborn into our lives that are only now just their soul. So he's hugging people. He doesn't recognize them because they're not who he's known in this life. If he can eat Adam when the next time this happens, how do we know each other? (laughs) 
though that's because it might just be his soul family which is cool see if before you go to bed tonight think in your head you go to sleep okay if i go to where i've been let me remember to ask in my dream projection whatever it's called how do i know you or why am i seeing you and see if yeah like how what is our connection So let's get into part two. In our first episode, we discussed the chilling events of the Manson family murders that took place at the remote Cielo Drive home in the Hollywood Hills on August 9th, 1969. We covered the horrific details of how Charles Manson's cult followers brutally murdered five people, including actress Sharon Tate, who was eight months pregnant at the time. Tonight for part two. We're opening the doors to a haunted abode located on Cielo Drive. That infamous road. That when you hear the name, the hairs already flutter on the back of your neck. This home, known simply as the Omen House, is well known in the paranormal community for supposedly housing the lost souls of the Tate murder victims and possibly being used as a portal or gateway, if you will, for others who have passed on and unfortunately have unfinished business. Many stories have surfaced over the years of strange occurrences and paranormal activity within the walls of this house. Neighbors have reported hearing ghostly voices and seeing apparitions peering through the windows. Several owners over the decades have fled the home, complaining of an oppressive atmosphere and feelings of being watched. Psychics claim the house is filled with negative energy and spiritual residue from the tragic events that transpired there over 50 years ago. Does the Omen House truly contain the restless spirits of Sharon Tate and her friends? We'll explore the history, hauntings, and alleged paranormal activity associated with this infamous location known as the site of the crime of the century. Join Courtney and I after the break as we step inside the Omen House and uncover its chilling secrets. Part two of Helter Skelter starts now. Nationwide crime is dominating the headlines here in America. The- uh, my team, oh, my team, Someone was murdered, I think. Where? I want I just shot and killed my son, Max, and my wife, Michelle. We are attempting to stay one week at the official conjuring house. Recipes, poverty, drugs, child abuse. There's someone standing right here. You're going to get back to hell where you came from. Studio Sinister. We are back, so... I have been waiting to see what Courtney has uncovered. She does such great research. So, Courtney, if no one knows what this Omen House is, serve it up on a platter. Okay. I have gone down a rabbit hole, I'd say, over the last 48 hours when it comes to this house. But to set the scene, on a November morning in 1998, Los Angeles native David Omen awoke to a call from his dad who was excitedly telling him that he had found an undeveloped lot of land off of Cielo Drive for just $40,000, which is an incredibly low price for the area. This is in the Beverly Hills. And at first, 
the pair of them thought that it was or Dave specifically thought that this listing was a typo. His dad saw it in a newspaper and he's like, no, it has to be 400,000 for a small developed lot off of Cielo drive. It cannot be 40 K. But his dad apparently had done research that morning and was 1000% sure it was just $40,000. It had actually been foreclosed upon, which is why it was so cheap. So with that thought in mind, the two of them drove out to the site they met there. And as soon as Dave arrived at the property he realized one of the reasons why it was likely so cheap was because it was the lot that was just 150 feet away from the old tate polanski residence and the location where sharon tate and her friends had been murdered just off the bat farah what would you do in that moment would you buy this lot 100 (laughs) percent i knew you would 100%. Not for, no one get me wrong. It's so hard on how to describe this. You're not trying to say you're getting off on people murdered. It's the story of it. It's just the crime of it, the investigation, everything about it. But it sits in Benedict Canyon, which Mm -hmm. that area is just gorge. Have you seen the views from the Omen Balcony? Yeah, it's beautiful out there. And this is a very sought after area. You have to think that Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, the fact that they lived there, that just goes to show that it's an area that's highly sought after by Hollywood royalty and just honestly, anybody who wants to be anything in this area is probably vying for a place in Benedict Canyon. So that was the allure of it. And there were some reservations with David Ullman when it came to the property because he knew the story. He drove out to Cielo Drive all the time when he was in high school just to see what there was to see. And he describes it as saying when he arrived there to meet his dad, he just couldn't believe that he was back and that he was considering buying this property that was only 150 feet away from where the murders took place. But even still, his dad was excited for a whole other reason. He, his dad actually worked in construction, which is why he was looking for properties that were undeveloped. And it seemed that the groundwork for the property had already been pretty much done. There was the foundation had already been laid, but it was stopped by the city. And at that point, the property was foreclosed upon and it sat vacant for 20 years up until the point when they were looking at it in 1998. And just to make sure everybody understands, David Omen's house doesn't sit exactly where Mm -hmm. the Tate residence was. The Tate house was actually leveled. I believe the doors are still there. They go I think up a it's little gates. Driveway. Yeah, and it's two gates that open up. It's very nice. If you ever looked at the 69 footage of the aerial view of their house, it was just a gorgeous piece of land. Courtney said it's 100 feet, 150 feet down the road. As we all know, blood soaks into the earth mm-hmm. and it's magnetic energy and just the traumatic event of someone's life being taken away by a horrendous murder. That's how I believe they're probably still there. Yeah, we'll discuss that in a bit further on in the episode. I have some other theories that I'd like to discuss with you that you're probably already aware of. But for the sake of what you were saying, Farah, that's absolutely correct. This isn't the same property. It's just like you could literally, like, to put it bluntly, spit on it. It's right there. That said, the property itself was, it's like on a hill, obviously, with it being in Benedict Canyon. So 
his dad, the reason why he was so excited about it is I think it sounds like he likes a challenge when it comes to houses that he's building. And even though the foundation had already been laid, it was going to be pretty difficult, at least from a lot of people's different perspectives, to build on the site, seeing how it's got such a steep grade. But also that means it's going to be a lot cheaper to get the property. And in Dave's father's experience, it's also a lot cheaper Despite the reservations and the history that come along with this property, they decided to put in an offer, and that was in January of 1999. Immediately upon closing on the property, they go ahead and start building on it, or completing what was already happening. And immediately upon this construction beginning, weird things started happening. It wasn't all that surprising when the construction crew started going to Dave with complaints of weird things happening around the job site. For instance, tools would, as in they would be left in one place when the crew would leave. And then when they came back the next morning, they were in a different room or a different section of the job site. So they would ask Dave, hey, why did you move our stuff? And he was adamant, I wasn't here. I didn't move it. That wasn't me. I don't know what you guys are talking about. On another occasion, on another occasion, one of his workers was at the job site alone. At, it was close to the end of the day and he was just finishing up some work. And he was on the first level of the house. And he started hearing voices up on the third floor, as well as footsteps and other just strange sounds that he shouldn't be hearing seeing that he was there alone. So he gets up and goes and investigates and he finds no one. There's no one on the third floor. He goes outside, there's no one there. And this happens on three separate occasions. On the third occasion, he ends up just deciding to leave. I'll just finish up what I'm doing in the morning when other people are here. And on that third occasion, he's packing up down on the first floor and he hears footsteps approaching from behind him. And then he gets this cold breeze just on the back of his neck. It's not like something like wind was blowing outside and came into the house. It was just on the back of his neck. And he quite literally was chased out of the house by whatever spirit this was. And then he ended up leaving, I want to say, for six weeks before finally returning to the job site. And at that point, his stuff had already been finished for him because the show must go on. But he told his crew or told his colleagues that he was going to take care of his mom. And later on, come to find out that he wasn't out of town taking care of his mom. He was just terrified of the experience he had that night. Oh, my God, that is crazy. I've heard these stories and you're right. It was really hard to keep these workers. They weren't having it. A lot of their tools and the tools are expensive to begin with. But when you're putting them somewhere and then they're in a different place the next day, it, it screws with your head. It, it can be very frustrating. Yeah. And it's also just if it is being moved around, obviously it's Dave's house. Not that he would do anything to be nasty, but they're expensive. There were a lot of people who were, shall I say, annoyed <laughs> things were moving. Yeah, the Omen house is crazy. I can't wait to hear what the rest you figured out. Dave moved in 2002. And again, weird things were continuing to happen as he moved in. He never felt like they were threatening by any means. And he always would acknowledge them because he felt not doing so would make it worse. He wasn't scared of these things, but he felt that they deserved the respect to be acknowledged. I agree. And they do. They do. And I, I appreciated that when I came across an interview with him and he mentioned that because I think so often we're so scared of these spirits who are truly not too different from you or I. So I thought that was sweet. But let's talk about the first time he saw a full body apparition. 
Okay, because he would see things out of the corner of his eye when he first moved in and, and he would hear things, but he didn't see a full-bodied apparition right away. But that all changed in July of 2004. It was around 1.36 in the morning when he went to bed. And then a little while later, he awoke, basically out of a dead sleep. And as he does, he sees a man at the foot of his bed. He doesn't recognize him at first, but he was dressed in a gray suit and he seemed to be pointing outside toward what used to be Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski's house. And I think what's eerie about this is he was gray. He looked solid figure, but he was in tones of black, white, and gray. This isn't a living person by any means. And several years later, he still digging into the Tate murders because if you're living right there and you think that you have paranormal activity going on in your house and Dave Omen's kind of less he's always been interested in the paranormals of course he's digging more into that he's going through the photos that we looked at last week he came across a picture of Jay Sebring that's one of likely many people that are in my house and I've seen him that was the first time I saw a full body apparition it's Jay Sebring it has to be no doubt in his mind, which is chilling, to say the Ugh. least, because you and I were pretty upset last episode, I think it's safe to say, just looking at those pictures. So can you imagine being in the place that we were last week and then to come and realize that the spirit you encountered was one of these victims? I would have been jolted to encounter one of them. After you learn more about them, their life, they were humanized more, just not people that were on the news and you hear about the crime part of it. You learn about their story, how they were raised, who they were, the love that they had, little tidbits of their life. It ends up putting it in a different perspective for you. For sure. And like I said, we'll talk about that here in a few moments. But it's worth mentioning that after this first sighting of J.C. Bring. Dave starts to bring in teams of professional investigators to investigate his house. If you guys saw on Instagram, obviously Zach Baggins has been there, so is Taps. But before we dig into those investigations, I'd like to take a moment to discuss the various different kinds of spirits that Dave and different professionals who have investigated this location believe to be haunting the house, because it's not just the murder victims. Uh, obviously, they are there. But alongside the murder victims, there is supposedly a negative entity that's down on the, I want to say, first floor. So in the kind of basement area. Then on top of that, this house was supposedly built on a Native American burial ground. And when I say supposedly built upon it, there's literal bedrock and dirt inside his house that on the lowest floor that Dave doesn't want to disturb because he has been told that a Native American individual has been buried there if not more than one so he basically has a grave site that his house has been built around did you know that yes when you walking down to the basement when you look to the right there is a huge mound of dirt that has filled half of his basement so it also creates a little nudge for his house to sit on too yeah and there was a very famous doctor slash parapsychologist, Barry Taft. And I'm going to play a small little audio clip about his time investigating the Omen House and his thoughts on it as well. A, a renowned parapsychologist 
who, with over 4,000 credited investigations to his name, refuses to ever return to this home. I've been to David Oman's house 2005 and 6 20 times. The first time I went there, I passed out. Every time I was there, I got violently ill within a day later, and it, was, it wasn't good. You think that house could kill you? If not, killing me could make me extremely ill to the point where I, it, I'd be suffering for the rest of my life. The effects I had, other people had, are a byproduct of that type of geomagnetic environment. Are there any explainable reasons why it, there is such a strong geomagnetic force there? Are there ley lines? Is there a fault line there? The part of Benedict Canyon, where David Owen's house is located, is actually acknowledged by the US Geological Survey as a geomagnetic anomaly site. The geomagnetic field at that particular location is anywhere from five to 60 times normal. The USGS, nor anyone else, doesn't know why that these forces are prevalent there. From what I've read and heard, that area is considered a sacred site by ancient Native Americans. We've heard that as well. It wouldn't surprise me if this unique geomagnetic and electromagnetic environment is one that is captive to the energies and information that late came before. Do you think this energy has had an effect on David Oman? It wouldn't surprise me to discover that he is being affected. Whether that's from the spirit of Sharon Tate, I can't tell you. If it's related to geomagnetic forces, I could be willing to bet on that. And I think that's what beefs up that property's paranormal activity is that exposed dirt. Again, remember, that's dirt that's been here for how long? And I think just that with the horrific things that have gone on there just makes everything so accentuated. So I'm not surprised that there's more than just the Tate murder victims there. And I think... This is the perfect segue, you bringing up that doctor. I love Barry. He was actually the next point in my notes. And I'm going to explain this the best way that I can. Prior to Zach Baggins and the Ghost Adventures crew going into the Omen House for their investigation, they interviewed Barry Taff. He's a renowned parapsychologist who's been to the Omen House more than 20 times to investigate. I believe, unfortunately, he and Dave Oman had a bit of a falling out due to, honestly, I think energy in the house, kind of what were once really good friends against each other, which is sad. But apparently, Dr. Barry Taff would, every time he was there, he would get violently ill in the days following. The first time he was there, he passed out due to just something going on, I want to say, in his chest and stomach. He just felt an overwhelming sense of, I don't even know how to explain it. I don't want to say dread because it was obviously a physical reaction, a visceral reaction to the home. But he has a theory that is different than what we talked about with the murders and that being the traumatic event that makes this place so haunted. This property is recognized as being a, an electromagnetic anomaly. This whole area, this area of Benedict Canyon, where the Omen House is built, is known for incredibly high electromagnetic energy which means that it's going to act as a magnet to the paranormal, which is why there's so much going on here. And going back to what we were talking about, the Native American burial ground that's there, Barry Taff, as well as a ton of other mediums, theorize that there isn't just this one Native American spirit, but that there are hundreds haunting this house. Yep. So I do believe that there is some kind of portal slash gateway that people are using to travel to and from their destinations. So that's what I think that place is being used for too. Real quick, 
Barry Taft. I'm not 100% sure because these days I don't know how well you can trust Zach Bagans, but Barry Taft died. Did he really? From the demon house. That was him. Oh my gosh. I knew he looked familiar. I was watching these interviews with him yesterday. I knew he looked familiar. Also, as a segue, Fair and I have, I think, not differing opinions, but just like, how do I put this delicately? Just saying it. We have we have opinions. some. I don't think we have different opinions on this, and I think a lot of people will agree. So that's not the right word. We don't see Zach in the highest light. Let's say I don't know, but I will say that Demon House documentary. It's one of the only things that I've ever purchased on YouTube because every once in a while I just get the craving to go and watch I it because it. it is that story. Aside from him is nuts and then him going in and having all of those he himself basically went legally blind due to the activity that he experienced in the home i think is that when nick quit nick quit before that this was a project that was really just supposed to be zach bagans on his own which it was because he bought that house on his own he but they're all his friends jay wasley billy aaron so they all went there and of course they're going to help him but he went blind because he faced one-on-one the devil himself. Which That's was why he the, went um, The member, obviously, he said they're his friend. Was it Aaron that got attacked as well and freaked out? Or was it just somebody they had hired? No, I... the end of that documentary? I think it was... I almost want to say Jay got attacked. Okay. I think it... But it was one of them. But... If anyone hasn't seen Demon House, Zach Bagans bought this house in Gary, Indiana. It's supposed to be very haunted by a demonic entity. Apparently, uh, child welfare workers had seen a little boy crawl up a wall. But this is where supposedly Barry Taft had helped Zach Bagans investigate the property and in turn was put in the hospital. Apparently, He had twisted intestines and later ended up dying. But again, this is just what I had heard from what Zach had said. Okay, let's circle back to, because this is very important when it comes to, that is one of the reasons why Barry Taft refused, or Barry Taft refused to go back to the Omen house. He was having issues with his stomach and intestines. (gasps) No way. Mm -hmm. I remember... Him saying that as he approached the staircase, that's when they were getting readings of the 300, 600 milligauss, and it was making him uneasy and really nauseous. But I didn't know that that he was having stomach ailments. Dude, I think he got attached then and then something just pounced on him more when he went to Gary, Indiana. What is the Gary, Indiana house? What does it have in its basement, Courtney? I didn't even fucking think about that. Dirt. dirt same thing with the sally house which is completely different but it's all of these really intense haunting houses have exposed dirt am i wrong i've never seen exposed dirt on the sally house am i crazy am i misremembering that there's a house somewhere in the midwest that isn't any of those that have I might be misremembering that. I don't think it's in the Sally house, but we'll look into it. But isn't that fucking crazy? And oh, what's never mind. The Sally house has a pentagram down there. I don't know where that came from. Yes. Now, even the conjuring house, I don't think has any dirt, but we'll look into that, everyone. And we'll get back to you on the next episode. We always want to make sure that we're giving some good info for you. But Courtney, 
that is crazy. I just put two and two together. And Zach Mm -hmm. actually has a couple of buckets of that dirt from the Mm. demon house in his museum too, which you've heard of his museum. So many people have passed out. Can I tell you guys something? Oh my God. What? (laughs) What? I have a trip planned in April to Las Vegas. Todd and I are going. Uh, It's like a kind of a couples. I don't want to say couples getaway, but we're going to Vegas for fun. And I'm going to his museum. So I'll report back if I have any experiences there. When are you going there? We're going for a music festival. This was booked a while ago. Are you going to look at that doll in her eyes? Oh, hell no. No. No, I've been (laughs) cursed by one too many demons. I'm good. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yep. You're right. You're right. But yeah, anyway, everyone, the Omen House has, I said, the dirt, it's actually exposed. It's holding, it's there to hold the house up. But Courtney said, David didn't want to push it back and have it blocked off. It's literally, you walk down in his basement and there it is right to the right. When you go to the demon house, you go down, you go down, you open the basement door, go down a couple steps, turn, go down another couple steps. And then underneath those steps is exposed dirt because they were opening, they were digging that up. Actually, the ghost adventures guys, because there was said to be, they found a woman's fingernail there and little girl's pair. And the stuff that they were getting over the spirit box was leading to something not right there. Yeah. And but. for what it's worth, too, the demon house has been leveled. But that's the only thing that remains are these two buckets of dirt that are in his museum. I will be interested to see those. I just don't yes. want to look at... I don't even want to say her name, but the doll that we all know that can like, curse you by pictures. Mm-hmm. I just... After my incident at the Bell Witch, I think I'm... Good. Just make sure you ask her before you do take a picture. Always ask that if you're I won't be taking a, okay. a picture on the topic of Barry Taff in these investigations. I think the next one that I want to talk about before we really dig into what happened with the Ghost Adventures crew, there was another local investigator that had been, I want to say she'd been to the Omen House on two occasions. Both occasions, she also felt sick the same way that Barry Taff did. And I said he passed out on his first trip to the Omen House. Similar situation happened with this girl. She was at a grocery store the following day after her second trip to the Omen House. She passed out in the grocery store and literally thought she was going to die. And while she's laying there, leaving this realm of existence, for lack of a better word, she didn't. she's okay now, obviously. But at the time that she was fainting, she's remembers thinking this is because of the omen house it is still affecting me so it just goes to show that this property can affect people in a visceral physical way which i thought was interesting sharon was making that home for her new family when i listen to her sister's interviews you always get this feeling of sharon was so joyful she was a young mom she was ready to have this little family she was protective of it so when that house ended up getting leveled. There's probably two or three houses before you get to David Omen's house. David is probably the only one that messes with or has the opened mind for paranormal. Yeah. So it, he welcomes her. He's knows all about the case. He's loving that they're there. So I think that draws her there. Another investigator slash medium that I came across in interviews that I was researching, this person in particular was saying that it's not necessarily that the house or the entities that are haunting this house are evil 
it's the fact that they, if they don't feel respected, they're not going to treat you with respect. Not to say that they're nasty by any means. It's just like, you have to think of the nature in which at least Sharon and the rest were killed. Of course, they're going to be a bit defensive of people coming into what they now believe to be their home. And to put it simply, what you were saying treats them with the respect and acknowledgement that they deserve. And I know that there are other people who are going in there that are also investigating. And from my understanding, if you treat them with respect, you'll probably also get respect out of them. Because I've seen a lot of investigations here. It's not always this negative I have intestinal torsion now, Barry Taft. Not that he was being disrespectful either, but it seems like it could go either way is what I'm saying. I so agree with you. There are a few things that I want to get into when it comes to Zach Baggins and his crew at the Omen House, because I really do think that they got some great evidence there. Again, I don't really necessarily agree with the methods to which they got those pieces of evidence, but here we are. The first thing that I wanted to mention when it comes to their specific investigation is the dolls on the aquarium. Now, to get a better understanding of this and for some context here, David Omen has a large fish tank in his house, and on top of it, he has a bunch of figurines. They're not really dolls. They're more somewhere in between dolls and action figures. If, does that make sense, Farah? Yes, it does. And I'm going to put links and pictures of everything. Yeah. The Omen House that I can find. So that way you can see what figurines that Courtney's talking about. But they're sitting on top of a TV cabinet. These little figurines that are sitting on top of this fish tank, per David and a lot of other investigators who have been in this house, they tend to topple over. And it's not like when somebody walks by because people have debunked this. They will jump with all of their weight, with multiple people's weight in front of this fish tank, nothing moves. But nothing then moves. randomly, they'll get like, thrown across the room or knocked down by something. And they can, there's really no explanation other than it looks to be paranormal, right? So when the Ghost Adventures crew was there, they caught this on camera. And I'm sure you remember this. They caught it twice. So one, yeah. the first time is when they're just doing the initial walkthrough of the home. Right. So they were like, David goes over there and he's like, oh, look at this. If you ask, that might knock them over. And of course, they wait for, like, I want to say like five, 10 minutes, maybe. And just as they were about to cut off the cameras, it's not going to do it right on cue. Something knocks over. The next night, they're doing their actual investigation and they're in there in the dark in there with night vision. So the camera can see saying, hey, just knock it over, trying to coax the spirit to knock it over. It does. And they have this, I forget the device name, but basically it detects when vibrations happen. And so it's not like something walked by and you would be able to see the vibrations on this device. The only time it went off is when this little figurine fell over and they didn't even react or see it because they're in the pitch black. And the only thing that caught it was on camera, which to me is insane evidence. David has this happen to him on the daily. Those figurines fall all the time the paranormal investigators a bunch of them that have gone in there since then a few of them it's happened to them as well and it's always this one or two certain figurines which is even cooler i think because it's not just random ones it's usually these one or two certain ones that are always knocked over yeah. The other thing too is my question is, do those two figurines have an attachment? Good question. I've never paid attention to any of the investigations if they've asked him where he got those from. I'll have to look back in a bunch of recordings and see if he explained, or was it just something mm -hmm. he's had laying around? 
but that's a good question. Another thing that I think is worth mentioning is that there's this spiral staircase. This is a three-story house, right? On the spiral staircase, when Ghost Adventures and when a lot of people have gone in, they've been able to catch, it sounds like footsteps or voices or knocking specifically on the staircase. Ghost Adventures caught this when they went in and investigated. It was one of the first things that they captured. And what's interesting to me about this is the fact that it's a spiral staircase. Just like mirrors, people tend to believe that spiral staircases create a portal. Have you ever heard that? Yes, I have. And I agree with that, especially with that basement having the exposed dirt as it does and it having ancient symbolism to them with the Indian burials there and then just the extra activity on that Cielo Drive in general. I think since, oh, and Barry Taft, that's where the highest milligauss was recorded was that staircase. There's a scientific instrument that shows that as soon as they hit that first step, boom, they get to the middle of that spiral staircase. The milligauss goes nuts. Also, there is a hanging spiral lamp. It's hanging from the top floor, but it comes down to the middle of the staircase. No and way. And they caught that thing spinning Swinging. around. Swinging. Yeah. And I think yep. the other thing, too, and this is my just like own theorizing here. So don't quote me on this. I don't have any sort of credible evidence behind this. But does it almost seem spirals just in general, maybe it's the Fibonacci sequence of it all, creates these portals that we're discussing? There are even places out here in Montana that have a lot of paranormal activity and kind of wild energy there that have these spiraling patterns through them and it just makes me wonder if maybe that's a man-made portal that was probably not intentional but the fact that you have a spiral staircase and then layered on top of that is a spiral lamp or chandelier i guess would be a better word for it it seems that this house has portals on portals so no wonder there's activity off the chain in here right well let me give you a little something that i just found which might make you gasp first of all the answer to your question yes i do believe that a spiral is a symbol of something because of the fact that thousands of years ago even with the egyptians and the indians they would carve spirals as part of their hieroglyphics or spirals because everybody has that theory of time travel back in the day or the fact that's a symbol for the cosmos, right? That they, that there was supposedly ancient alien civilizations that started everyone here. But also the spiral is a magical symbol that has been carved on rocks in the Sahara. It is also the breast of the Phoenician goddess of fertility, motherhood, and war. What does that remind you of? Jaren Tate and her baby being there. Whoa, holy shit. That was not the connection I made at all. Sorry, I need a second. That is insane. And guess what also is weird? What was carved on Lino LaBianca's stomach? Oh my gosh. The word war. I need a minute. I might need to get up and walk around. Let Do we just con- cover some? Let okay, me continue. continue. Another civilization, what they consider the spiral to be, represents life, heaven, male and female, the morning sun, and get ready, 
the earth. That was the connection I made when you said the spiral. If you look at, I want to say it's specifically Wiccan deities that their mother goddess always has the spiral on her stomach. And that might be the same one that you were talking about earlier. But that to me is supposed to symbolize the world from that point of view. So that makes that was what I went to before you were. Does that make you think of Sharon Tate? And I lost my train of thought, but that is insane. It's almost because that's lamp. That light fixture does not do that all the time. It only doesn't. It's not rare. It's just not as a footstep, which makes me think that when Sharon enters the room, that thing's spiraling to show her presence. That's it's like what a, I'm picking from it. Uh, a nod to her. Yes, exactly. Okay. Phew, that was crazy. <laughs> it's intense. But while we're on the topic of this staircase, it seems to me at least that a lot of the activity that occurs revolves around this staircase and i'm using the zach baggins ghost adventures episode or whatever you want to call it as a case study for this but just to give you guys the context as to what i mean i said they had the activity going on when they first got there they heard footsteps and knocking i want to say it was banging specifically on the staircase they also heard moaning coming from the staircase they had somebody outside of the house i want to say he was in the garage listening to a live mic that was picking up these emfs in real time so they were able to react to them in real time which i thought was cool also down there they caught not caught on camera but they were able to document that nick specifically was burned which seems to be a common theme in this episode let's be honest but on his chest and it's very prevalent when they he, they're able to get it while they're down there but it's dark so they end up rushing back up the stairs going back outside to their van where they have their headquarters for the night set up as they often do and in there with the lights on there he lifts up his shirt and there's this huge burn that's continuing to get darker and darker on his skin that to me was quite alarming but i said they i don't i hate to say that they didn't go in with respect but i will say zach did eventually send nick back in the house by himself to basically be further subjected to whatever it is that had been targeting him throughout the night and they did catch some evidence they caught down there specifically by the staircase ectoplasm or what they believe to be ectoplasm on camera they caught several orbs as well and it just all seemed to me it was specifically targeting nick i remember the ectoplasm barrier beyond actually investigated the omen house they've been there twice with some people and let me tell you what victor he got targeted down there so i think Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've seen one of their investigations, but it wasn't the one when they were by themselves. He gets up off that bed and darts out that room. So I do think down there is more of a negative entity. I don't think it's any of the tape murder victims. Let me put it to you this way. And this is the last point that I have in regards to the actual investigation. And then to close, I'll tell you if if you guys want to go there, I have some information on that, but While we're on the topic, it's worth mentioning towards the end of this episode, they did catch on camera and on audio, obviously, a series of three knocks while Nick was down there by himself, at which point he reacted. He didn't I don't think he heard the knocking, but he saw something that couldn't be picked up on camera. Take it with a grain of salt. But it's interesting how upstairs outside of the house, they hear three knocks in rapid succession. 
And then immediately Nick is reacting inside the house. Holy shit, I see a mist in front of me, which to me sounds pretty dark. Credible and dark. I think Sharon and the victims frequent the upstairs more than the downstairs. But I'm scared for David that over these years with as many people that have gone in there, all of these different paranormal investigation groups go in there and they might not have the best intentions. So I hope for David's sake and for the spirit of Sharon and her baby, no one conjures anything bad and goes in there with a good intent. There's Mm -hmm. paranormal files have gone there. If you want to watch them, Barrier Beyond. Go watch Barrier Beyond because the one that I I saw of theirs was insane, but I also just think they're great investigators. But beyond that, to further give credence to what you were saying, Farah, there was a medium that also investigated this house. And she said that she saw the spirit of Sharon Tate, or who she described it as the energy of Sharon Tate, right? It was a woman that looked very pregnant, covered in blood, in a white dress, exactly what you would expect. No doubt in my mind, she is there. And not just one crew one team has seen her multiple investigators have either seen her interacted her or caught interacted with her or caught evidence of her which is insane but also beyond that guys if you do end up going to this house be respectful of the fact that dave omen still lives there and for his health and being we don't want to you're right we need to have good intentions while going in there we don't want to conjure anything negative because it sounds like there's already something that is there that said to close this episode if you would to go to the omen house you i want to say you can investigate obviously but you can also just tour if you're more of a casual kind of ghost hunter so if you want information on that you can find it on his website it's www.theomenhouse.com that is my coverage of the omen house i hope you enjoyed my little case study Can I just say that I loved this fucking episode? This was such a great episode. I did too. I fell down a rabbit hole with this over the last 48 hours. And I hope that I succeeded in bringing you guys down here with me. I loved every second of it. I learned stuff that I did not know. Listeners, I'll make sure to put a bunch of investigation videos to recommend to you. First and foremost, I would always recommend Barrier Beyond because they don't hype up and overproduce their stuff and they're really genuine on what they do. And now we get to the part where Don the zombie reads his quote for the night. Take it away, Don. Don the zombie here, pondering the wisdom of Mark Twain. The fear of death follows from the fear of life. A man who lives fully is prepared to die at any time. Ah, how quaint. Well, Mark, If you ever experience life as a decomposing undead, let me know if that perspective still holds up, schmuck. Also, I wanted to make sure I reminded you sinister seekers to add macabre family, Zack solved mysteries, couple of couples. Early on Wednesday and to finish up, Scary Tales and Serials podcast to your playlists. I don't want to have to come to your house at 2am and slice your tires and shit in your mailbox. Peace out. All right, Sinister Seekers, we hope that you enjoyed the eerie tale that we spun for you today. Remember, we drop episodes like clockwork on the 1st, the 10th, and the 20th of every month. So don't miss out on your regular dose of macabre content and hit that follow button if you haven't already. 
We're haunting all the streaming platforms so you can catch us wherever you prefer. Connect with us on the dark corners of social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and TikTok. We're lurking around every corner. For those of you who crave more details, check out studiosessions.blog. It's an extension of our show, which features detailed show notes, links, audio and visual aids, and more. This year is all about sharing because sharing is caring. So help us reach new listeners by spreading the word. Share your favorite episode and let's build a community of sinister seekers. And yes, Patreon perks will be coming your way. So keep your eyes and ears peeled for exclusive content and goodies. Merch will drop soon too. Don the zombie will have his own undead collection. But before we go, do us a solid, leave us a rating or review because crafting these epic episodes takes so much work. Your love and feedback mean the world to Courtney and I. So until next time, Sinister Seekers, stay true. Stay you. Stay Stay sinister. sinister. Get ready for a wild ride, folks. Studio Sinister is back with a brand new episode that's hotter than lava and spookier than a midnight stroll through the jungle. Join Farah and Courtney as they dive into the heart-pounding tales of Hawaiian legend. From the bone-chilling night marchers who march through the night with their ghostly drums to the fiery goddess Peel who's got more sass than your ex on a bad day. Shut up! This episode's got it all, so grab your popcorn and buckle up because Drums of the Night is dropping on February 10th, hitting all your favorite streaming platforms. Don't miss out on the adventure with Studio Sinister.